middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. It is the most wonderful time of the year. March Madness is upon us, and you are listening to the new episode of Keeper of the Games, the wildly underqualified yet mildly entertaining podcast that's all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. I'm Tommy Castor, and you might be thinking to yourself, wait a second, it seems like this episode is dropping a little bit earlier this week than normal. And there's a good reason for that. It's because we want to give you all of the March Madness preview information that you need to know as it relates to the Kansas Jayhawks and the Wichita State Shockers. And we're going to get into that in just a little while. Joined by my co-hosts, as always today, we'll start off with Weston Mills. Weston, I know you are chomping at the bit to talk about how uh, you think you were right about Mitch Lightfoot and the way he played in the Big 12 tournament. Here's the thing. I know we have a very smart, well-informed audience, listeners, viewers. So there's really not even much to say. I know they were all watching the KU game. They saw for themselves the magnificent play of Mitch Lightfoot and how easily he slid into the role of of David McCormick and just how well that offense looked. And my goodness, I, I mean, I've said too much already. The listeners know. The listeners know. (laughs) <laughs> we'll get into that in just a little while. Weston, welcome to the show. Blake Cripps, uh, I, I'm glad that we were able to pull you away from filling out your brackets. How many times have you scribbled out, you know, 13 seed <laughs> upsets over four seeds? Where are you at with that? You know, I used to fill out so many brackets. I mean, there were years I would fill out 20 brackets and I would submit them all online. I haven't done a single one this year. And I feel like this is going to be the least fun year to fill out a bracket because for most years, when you fill it out, you know, you want to see what's going to happen. It's going to be crazy because you can never predict the upsets. We already know that this year is going to be unpredictable. We don't know who's going to get a positive test. We don't know how players and teams are going to react to this impossible situation that they've been thrust upon. So for me, that part of it kind of loses a little bit of its luster this year. So I don't know if I'm going to be filling out a ton of brackets. I'm not sure about that. I am definitely excited to watch some postseason basketball, though, coming up this week for Wichita State, which, by the way, look back in January, I believe I had that in the tournament. And we're still hoping, I guess we don't know at this point, Tommy, but we are hoping that Kansas is going to get to play in the NCAA tournament. Absolutely. We'll get into all of that and much more in just a few minutes from now. We want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you will be notified. Of course, you can listen on all major streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, all the major ones out there. Our website is cogsports.com. You can visit there. You can also watch full episodes on the Keeper of the Games YouTube channel and by going to our Facebook page just by searching for Keeper of the Games. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's at K-O-G pod. On this episode of Keeper of the Games, we will talk about some transactions made by the Kansas City Chiefs in the last several days, some updates on spring training for the Kansas City Royals, an update on state basketball, our Wichita whip around, and a whole lot more. But of course, it is March Madness Week, and we begin the program by talking about that. Of course, Selection Sunday was less than 48 hours ago, and fellas, we're going to start with 
with the Wichita State Shockers. Now, the Shockers and their entire fan base on the edge of their seats pretty much from Saturday evening until Sunday evening for a full 24 hours. Shocker Nation anxiously awaiting Selection Sunday to see if they had made it into the field of 68, and they did. The Shockers will play in the first four matchup this Thursday evening. Tip-off will be a little bit before 5.30 p.m. The venue, Mackey Arena in West Lafayette, Indiana on TBS, they'll be taking on Drake. So kind of uh, an old-school Missouri Valley matchup uh, between Wichita State and Drake. And, you know, this sort of uh, the 24 hour waiting period after the Shockers loss in the American semifinals against Cincinnati to Selection Sunday, as I mentioned, Blake, you know, really nerve wracking for Shocker fans because they just weren't sure if the Shockers were going to make it. And I think it was less about the outcome of the American tournament for the Shockers. And it was more about some bid stealers, some teams that were not expected to make the tournament, winning their conference tournament and potentially knocking the Shockers out. Ultimately, that did not happen as Wichita State makes it into the field. So, Blake, my first question is for you, relating it to Selection Sunday, relating it to the tournament, going back to that American conference loss against Cincinnati, what did that look like for the Shockers? And do you think the Shockers were seated appropriately? Yes, I do think they were seated appropriately. We've had this conversation so many times this year. Weston's brought it up more than once about how Wichita State is very talented, but because of the non-conference schedule, they just don't have the resume. And there's a big gulf between the predictive rankings, which is what Haslametrics uses, which is what Kempom uses. And they are obviously very highly publicized. They're extremely popular. They're extremely comprehensive. And I think they're both very, very good. I'm I'm not trying to say that either of those rankings is bad. I think they're both amazing. But they don't favor Wichita State much. And that's because Wichita State does not have that they are predictive, and so much of that thing that uh, that Weston says doesn't matter. Margin of victory are they're taken into very heavy account in those statistical breakdowns because statistically, margin of victory is one of the strongest predictors as to whether or not you're going to win a particular game. In terms of the measurables, in terms of what Wichita State did in terms of resume, which is in the net rankings, Wichita State was much, much stronger because they didn't have any bad losses until that loss against Cincinnati, which came in the conference tournament. They didn't have any bad losses in quad three or four the entire year. And Wichita State had played very well down the stretch. They had gotten quality wins, got the win over Houston. And so because of that, Wichita State was not – looked upon very favorably in Ken Palm and some of the other statistical rankings, but in the net matrix and the RPI, which is not necessarily always used or, or smiled upon by everybody, depends on who you are and which side of the bubble your team fell on, Wichita State was favored heavily in those. They won their conference championship. And for me, I did not have a doubt that they were going to get in. I just did not see bid stealers obviously was a is a concern for teams every single year. But I for the life of me, I could not understand how Wichita State was going to fall from not being in the last four buys and not being in the last four in to being out. They'd have to drop nine spots at least. And I don't I didn't see exactly where in Joe Lenardi's bracketology. Jerry Palm had them about a 10 seed in the last one that I saw before the loss. 
I just could not imagine that they would fall nine spots to going out. So for Wichita State, this season is kind of just a bonus. Nobody expected that you know you'd be talking about Coach Brown as being the head coach right now, without question, the leader of this team and this program going forward. I didn't think that Tyson Etienne, and you know, shame on me, maybe I should have. I didn't think Tyson Etienne was going to be the co-player of the year in the American. I had no concept that he was going to be that good this year. I thought he would be good, but I thought Dexter Dennis would have a much different season than he did. Dennis turned out to play very well defensively. Shockers in the American Conference Tournament just did not shoot the ball as effectively as they had. But for me, I thought they just needed to win one game and they were in Weston. I had no doubt that they were going to make it. I was, I definitely would not have taken a bet as on if whether or not they were going to get a first round bye or not have to play a play-in game. But I think the strength of winning the regular season championship and beating Houston, I think those were the things that propelled Wichita State in. And once they were able to get through that first really tough game against South Florida at the American, I don't think it mattered after that. Obviously, if they would have beat Cincinnati in the semifinals and made the championship, I think that they would not be having to play that extra game. And who knows? Wichita State's been in this situation before, kind of ran out of gas in that second-round game when they made it under Greg Marshall. So it could come into effect. But obviously, the main concern is you got to get in the dance to have a chance. And Wichita State is in the dance. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think one thing that we we talked about, and I, maybe it was, I think it was you, Blake, on on Twitter. Um, you know, we were, there was a discussion being had about if Cincinnati won the AAC, what did that mean for Wichita State? And obviously, we're talking about this in in retrospect now because it doesn't matter, right? But you know, and I think there was, I think you would kind of said, "Hey, look, I don't, I don't think the committee is going to say we're not letting three AAC teams in." More, I think the concern, and this is ultimately what led to the seeding of Wichita State, was as you talk about those, you know, seeding busters or those uh, unexpected conference wins. You know, if Cincinnati was not going to be in the tournament, had they won, they would have automatically been in. Georgetown gave a little right. scare to to Wichita State fans. Oregon State won, and they were not supposed to. You know, that gave them a little bit of scare, and that's what ultimately bumped them into that that play in round. I still just, I mean, I guess. I don't want to rehash too much of what you said, but I, I'm with you, right? It's, I mean, the resume put them into the seed that they are, but if you look at the talent of this team, they're they're better than an 11. And if I'm USC, and I'm not going to, you know, certainly I say that in the context of you're a USC fan looking at who you might play. Obviously, Wichita State needs to focus on Drake, but I would be very, very worried about the talent that Wichita State has. Um, and so we're looking at uh, you know a pretty good matchup uh, you know with Drake though to get in, which I just did not expect Wichita State to be a play in. But hey, you're dancing, and that that's all the matter. Uh, right? And, and I don't think chance. Drake's a bad team either. I don't right. think Drake's a bad twenty five and four this year in the Missouri Valley. I think they're a pretty good team. Yeah, yeah Drake you know, is a team that they were they were one of the best teams in the country. You know, early on, I think they didn't they lose one of their star players to injury though midway through and I, I think that they were undefeated for quite a while they were one of the last teams yeah um, they were before I, I don't they lost. you might be right on that Tommy I'm not I, I can't remember but yeah you they had a really good start to the year for sure I mean you went 25 and four you didn't have any bad unless you lost all four games in a row you really didn't have any bad stretches of the year 
Yeah. And, you know, Blake, you had mentioned, uh, you know, just a few moments ago about that, that win against South Florida in the opening round of the American tournament for the Shockers. And, you know, a week ago on this program, you know, I, I basically said that the only scenario that Shocker Nation was hoping to avoid was a loss in the first round of the American tournament. I think Agreed. had Wichita State lost that game against USF. This could have been a completely different discussion that we're having right now. We would have been talking about how close Wichita State came to getting in, but ultimately that loss to USF did them in. Ultimately, that didn't happen. Hey, Tommy, when they released the bracket, did they actually show what the last team in, or did they just say, here are the last four in and not give any order? I don't, I don't know, I, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think from what I saw, Wichita State was either the last team in or the next to last team in, um, and I, I can't yeah, remember. I, I don't like how that looks was. if they lose the first round game. I yeah. think that that's. I think we're having a really sad conversation if they lost that first round game. You know, in that game against USF, Tyson Etienne scored 20 points. Altariq Gilbert had 12 points. Morris Udezi came up with the biggest charge that I think he has ever taken <laughs> in his entire basketball career. And you know what? We don't need to get into this, but there's been so much gnashing of teeth and wringing of hands this year about referees and their tendency to call charges versus blocks when plays are clearly blocks they're calling charges because they like to do that emphatic charge call but that was absolutely a charge that morris udesi says yes. there there's did no you see question about south that. florida saying oh he was in the arc like he's no. outside the arc by like this it's not even close yeah. it's ridiculous you can't even suggest it but yeah it, it was a great call great defensive play by udesi and looking back on it i mean there's so many different moments you can't ever boil a season down to one play but that play in that moment may say may save the season for Wichita State. Oh, it absolutely saved the season for Wichita State. And, you know, that that allowed them to get into the next round against Cincinnati on Saturday. Of course, we all know what took place in that game as the Shockers fell by one point. Altree Gilbert had 14 points. Uh, he attempted um, the, the the shot to, to win the game, missed that shot for the Shockers. Tyson Etienne ended with 13 points, and Udesi had 11 points in that loss against Cincinnati. So, of course, you know, we now know that Houston – finished the the American Conference Tournament with the win. They absolutely demolished Cincinnati on Sunday. <laughs> I believe the final score, guys, was like 91 to 54. And Weston, I'll ask you this. that I believe that was, I mean, that was just a, it was such a massive margin of victory. I know you don't care about that, but such a massive margin of victory that Houston had over Cincinnati. It was hard for me to watch that game and not think, Man, how great would it have been to have, you know, the the third matchup in this season between Houston and Wichita State as opposed to Houston and Cincinnati. And I don't know about you, Weston, but I just sort of watched that game thinking, man, what if that would have happened? Yeah, I mean, obviously we saw two really good basketball games between Wichita State and Houston, right? So, and I just... I think it took, you know, everything Cincinnati had to get to that AAC championship game. There just wasn't anything left in the tank for them to be able to to compete with really the firepower that Houston has. Um, I know I've been on record saying that I think Houston are fraud. I still think they're fraud. I think they're primed to be upset early in this tournament. Um, they were you kind of diminished Wichita State when you say that a little bit. I just po- pointing that out. Well, I mean, I don't know. It, it kind of in conference, right? It, I know I you're always, not meaning to, but I'm just saying when you no, say, get, oh, well, they're not that good. I do get what you're saying. But at the same time, 
you know, anytime you have an in-conference game, I think those games are always going to be close no matter what you think of the talent. And it's not that I'm not sure. saying Houston isn't good. I think they are by far and away the worst two seed in this tournament. I just, but they were gifted that bottom half of the bracket that uh, I don't know what you, what, if you, how far you guys have looked into the brackets and we don't want to talk too much about Houston, but um, anyways, back to your original question, Tommy, right? Uh, Wichita state and Houston would, would have been a fantastic AAC championship, but you know, at the same time, knowing, and I don't know, let me ask you guys this. And, and before you answer, let me kind of finish my thoughts. So you know why I'm asking had Wichita state got to the AAC championship game and just for purposes of this question, let's say they lost, but made that championship game. Do you think being in the championship game would have still put them in a play in? And then is it no. better almost that they had the extra day off to prepare for the quick turnaround for a play in game? No, I, I agree with you, Tommy. Yeah, no, I, I don't still- think that it go ahead. I mean, I, well, I just don't think that it, that it matters. I mean, I think that they would have absolutely been out of the first four in. I think they absolutely would have gotten sure. a bye yeah. uh, had they made it to the turn the, the the title game for the American. And you know what? An extra day. The I don't even I don't even want to speculate on what an extra day means, considering how weird sure. this year is. Considering true. the bubble. <laughs> considering yeah. all the protocols. Considering I mean, it's going to be bizarre for every yeah, team true. in the tournament. So I don't know how much an extra day really would would mean for Wichita State. And you know, going back to your point, Weston, about Houston, and I'll let Blake answer your question after I'm finished with this. Going back to your point about about Houston. Um, you know, we've we talked about Quentin Grimes quite a bit. The guy is a superstar for Houston right now. I mean, he's sharing the the Player of the Year award with Tyson Etienne. He had 21 points in the title game for the American tournament against Cincinnati. Um, you know, he is peaking at the right time. So, do I think that Houston is? Uh, uh, do, you, do I think that they're worthy of a two seed? Um, not necessarily, but I definitely think they're a top five seed. I definitely think that they can go, yeah. you know, the sure. distance in the tournament, especially if Quentin Grimes is, is peaking, you know, at the right moment. So I think calling them a fraud is a, a little overblown. Um, but I, I do, I do agree with what you're saying about, are they worthy of a two seed? Probably not. Blake, your thoughts. Uh, I have the I have no additional thoughts. I think the Houston is for real. I don't necessarily have them in my pick to win the national championship, but like we had we had a conversation earlier in the year about this. You're either one of two people, and I still believe this. You think that either there's two teams that are actually contenders, and if you're in that camp, you probably think that it's going to be Gonzaga and Michigan, maybe you're a Baylor person and you believe it's Gonzaga and Baylor, but you probably have two teams. Maybe you're an outlier and you think that it's going to be Illinois. I happen to think the two best teams, if they play to their capability, is Gonzaga and Baylor. Now, the Baylor team that shows up, we will see which Baylor team. Is it going to be the Baylor team that got annihilated by Kansas or the team that had to kind of scrape off the Kansas State Wildcats? That's not the second best team in the tournament. Now, if the Baylor team comes up that blew out Kansas State by about 100 and you know beat KU and won the Big 12 championship, that's a really good Baylor team. So if you believe that one of those two teams has separated themselves, then you think it's a two-team race. Or you're in the other camp where you think pretty much anybody in the top 25 teams that made the tournament have got a good chance to win. 
So, you know, I, I think Houston has a legitimate shot to win, especially this year, just because of all of the crazy stuff that has happened, walkovers in tournaments. And quite frankly, just because the tournament is seeded, guys, we don't necessarily know if all those seed lines will be filled as they are lined up right now when the tournament starts here in a couple of days. Let's talk about this bracket for a little bit uh, for Wichita State before we move on uh, to KU. So, you know, anybody that follows both the Shockers and the Jayhawks know that when you look at that bracket, you see both of those teams in the same region. And there is a potential, guys, for not not a Elite Eight matchup, not a Sweet 16 matchup. We've seen those matchups in the past between those teams, but a second round potential matchup between the Jayhawks and the Shockers. So, of course, we know that Wichita State is in the first four, taking on Drake in the play-in game. Then, if they're able to get by Drake, they'll play USC, who is a sixth seed. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about this region, because we're going to end up talking about it for KU, too, at the same time. This is Gonzaga's region, guys. This is the number one overall seeds region. This is, you know, Iowa is in this region too. Uh, and there's a potential for, you know, either KU or Wichita State potentially to face off against Iowa potentially in the Sweet 16. Let's break down, Weston, first off, the Drake game, which is obviously Wichita State has to win that if they even want to get into the main bracket. What are you expecting from Wichita State, not only in the Drake game, but then moving on based off of their seed, based off of their draw? Where do you think Wichita State will end up this tournament? Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to I don't want to gloss past Drake, and I get what you guys were saying that early on they were good, but they, if I mean if you want to talk about resumes, I mean they don't. If I'm looking at, at what they did this year, they don't have a quality win. They beat Loyola Chicago, and that's about it. And if you go down the road uh, to Manhattan, they uh, they actually did beat K State eighty to seventy. So if you kind of want to you know, do the look at, you know, not, not that Wichita state played Kansas state, but you know, I you know, all obviously like you mentioned about KU, a lot of our Wichita state shocker fans that listen probably also, you know, have an idea of what's going on in Manhattan too. So I just don't see a lot out of this Drake team. Um, I know the 25 and four, the Missouri Valley just isn't what it used to be. Obviously that's why Wichita state has moved on Creighton moved on, um, you know, and it's just not the same anymore. I mean, that's not to say that this won't be a challenge, not to say that Wichita state does not have to show up because that is absolutely not the case. Uh, but it, it, as a fan, I am more interested in this potential matchup with number six USC. And I think it's really hard to gauge the PAC 12. In my opinion, I just, maybe it's because I haven't got to see them much. They got a late start. You know, the PAC 12 is just kind of wonky this year, Um, but USC is a a good basketball team. And they've got a big named Evan Mobley. Who's a freshman uh, who's an absolute stud. And I want to say he's either averaging 16 or 17 a game. Um, but so you're going to look at some interior defense there from, you know, particularly, I, of course, I think right away to Morris Udezi, uh matching up with, with Evan Mo- Mobley. But again, I just I just think that this Wichita State team, the talent that's on there, they're going to come in as an 11 seed. I don't know if folks are going to understand the talent that is on this roster, how well they've been playing down the stretch, especially since you had, a you know, you lost to Cincinnati at the end. I think they're going to sneak up on USC. And I think as we've talked all year, you know, this team's going to go as Tyson at the end goes. And, and so that's just a quick, you know, hundred feet view of the first two games. That's kind of the way my brain has gone. As I looked at those two matchups, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the Missouri Valley and I know that people have looked at the Missouri Valley a lot when Wichita state was trying to leave when they did leave 
the Missouri Valley Conference has the same number of teams and the top 50 of Ken Palm that the American has. Just saying. Loyola is actually – Loyola is the darling of those sabermetric statistical analyses. Loyola <laughs> Chicago is ninth in Ken Palm right now. They're 24-4. and four. So, you know, to answer your question about their strength of schedule, no, the strength of schedule for Drake was awful. It was 157. Um, Wichita State's was 84. So, you know, Wichita State's strength of schedule was much, much better, but they didn't win those games. So I certainly think that this is going to be an interesting matchup for these two teams. There will be some history. I'm not sure how much that's going to play into it. This is really going to test Wichita State's defense, however. And if there's a weakness on this team, you know, in terms of if you have to pick one, you know, offense, defense, you have to say it's it's for sure the defense. Drake can score the basketball. Drake is 19th in offensive efficiency in the country. Wichita State is about 105 in defensive efficiency in the country. Now, Drake does not play that good a defense either. They're very average, just like Wichita State. Let's not make it out to, you know, like Wichita State is a, a sinking ship, a ship that's getting, you know, have holes through it. It's not a Swiss cheese defense. They're just average. They're okay. They can play good defense at times and in spots. And Drake's defense is much, much like that. You know, Wichita State, I was very surprised that they lost that game against Cincinnati, despite still shooting a very good percentage from the three-point line. They've been very good from the three-point line. And since the Temple game, since February, they've only twice not shot at least 40% from the three. And in those two games, they've only shot shot 32% against South Florida and 35% against Tulane. So this is a red-hot three-point shooting team. And if those three-pointers come to bear in the NCAA tournament, I like Wichita State to get by Drake. The other thing Wichita State has got to get corrected, not necessarily a correction, but when Wichita State is in close games this year, you look at the close games that they have lost, except for Missouri and Oklahoma State, which we would agree those teams probably slightly more talented, probably slightly more loaded in the games that Wichita State has lost at Houston, that loss as well. You could throw that one in there. And the other two losses in the games that have not been very impressive, Wichita State has not been a good free-throw shooting team. You look at that loss to Memphis, 10 of 18 from the free-throw line. The loss against Cincinnati, 6 of 12 from the free-throw line. Against South Florida or Central Florida the first time, uh, they they missed free-throws down the stretch. So I think if this team can make free-throws and can make three-pointers, I like their chances to get by Drake and get into that first round, and then we'll see what the Trojans have to offer. So you mentioned that uh, you know Drake can score the basketball. They absolutely can, but they don't score it by shooting the three like Wichita State does. I mean, you look at what right. Alterate Gilbert specifically was able to do in the American tournament. I know he ended up you know missing the the shot that would have potentially you know put the Shockers up and and potentially win the game against Cincinnati. But you know there was a stretch in that game he he was making pretty much everything he looked at. Drake is different. You know they rank three hundred three in the country in three point rate. They got the nineteen best offense. I mean you mentioned that Blake but 303 in the country as far as 
three-point shooting is concerned. They can make them. They just don't shoot them a whole lot. You know, one of the things that I want to correct that I did mention, so Wichita or that Drake did have an injury uh, midway through the season. One of their best players, junior guard Roman Penn, he was a first-team all-conference guard. He was averaging 11.2 points and five and a half assists. Uh, He uh, suffered that season-ending foot injury on February 21st. Uh, So there is an issue there, but Joe Yasufu, uh, one of their their sophomore guards, six-foot-tall, he He's been their go-to player following those injuries that Drake has had. He's averaging uh, 12.1 points off the bench, but he's been a starter uh, for the the last five games for Drake. He's averaged 23 points in his last seven games, uh, including 68 points in a two-game stretch against Evansville in the Missouri Valley in late February. So Joe Yusufu is a guy that Wichita State is going to need to lock down on. Wouldn't be surprised to see Dexter Dennis on him in that opening game. But but guys, you know, I, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer in the room. Room. I I like Wichita State's chances against Drake. I don't like Wichita State's chances against USC. I think USC is woefully underseeded. Weston, you talked a lot about you know how the Pac-12 is kind of wonky this year, and it's kind of hard to I think get a good gauge on that. In my opinion, it's just solely because of Bill Walton. I blame Bill Walton for everything that's related <laughs> to the Pac-12. Um, but it's the uh, worst take yeah, in the history the of, the day, of you know, I, I do think that uh, USC presents a tough matchup, not only for Wichita. State, but also for KU, who we'll talk about in just a moment or so. Uh, any final thoughts on Wichita State and their opening matchup against Drake uh, before we, we move forward? Any other thoughts on that, Weston? You know, one thing you kind of mentioned uh, some of the guard play, I, I suppose, from, from Drake with Joseph Yusufu. But the thing that, that typically I like when Wichita State is mashing up defensively with the team whose best player is a guard, because like you mentioned, Dexter Dennis is so outstanding that I, you know, I think that really helps when you can put your best offender on their best offender, right? As opposed to when you necessarily have a guy in the post. Um, The thing that concerns me if there is something about Drake is they are so balanced, right? So Joseph Yusufu uh, is averaging 12 a game, but then you got Roman Penn averaging 11, DJ Wilkins averaging 10, uh, Tramel Murphy averaging 10. So they're balanced, right? It's not like you can just say Dexter Dennis, go shut down this guy and that helps the defense as a whole. They do come at you from different angles. And so the whole Wichita State squad is going to have to play defense. Um, and then I think uh, they actually have another injury in Shan- Shanquan Hemp Hemphill. I think he was averaging 14 yeah. a game and he has not played since February. Uh, so that's another injury for Drake, but um, yeah, really like, like you said, I think the defense is, is in that's, say that for many of the teams that are in this tournament, but I think the defense is going to be so key for Wichita state. Uh, you know, and it's going to be a team effort against Drake. And then it's going to have to be, you know, if you move on to USC, like you said, it's going to have to be a couple guys stepping up that aren't normally known as being the shutdown defenders. Not that Morris Udesi is bad, but Dexter Dennis is just normally that go-to guy. And you're not going to be able to say Dexter Dennis, go stop Evan Mobley because that's just not that matchup is just not going to be there. So, uh, Nonetheless, I don't know if I said this before, I actually have Wichita State beating Drake and then beating USC to actually get that third round. Well, it'll be second round, third round, whatever you want to call it, matchup uh, against Kansas. Blake, any final thoughts on Wichita State? Yeah, Wichita State, I think, has got to do a good job of recognizing when to take the ball to the rim. Because you look at the two pointers that Wichita State has shot this year, and I think you know, at the end of that Cincinnati game, I thought there were some times – 
when Wichita State could have taken the ball to the rim and instead of settled a little bit. You look at the field goal percentages these last few games. And by the way, quick correction, the bad free throw game they had was against Tulane, not against Central Florida. But you look at the last few games that they've had. Wichita State in some of these games have shot better from the three than they have from the two-point line, from two-point range. So I think Wichita State has got to be able to get the ball to the rim. I think there have been opportunities to take the ball and really attack into the post and maybe try to get a kick out. Wichita State is money when they get those easy passes for wide open on the dribble, drawing an extra defender. They're hitting that open shots. But I think Wichita State also needs to keep in mind that going to the glass on the attack on offense is also a very good strategy because Wichita State this year, and especially against Cincinnati, just did not shoot the two very well at all and probably was the reason they shot about 33% inside the two the three-point line in that game. And that's probably the reason that they lost to Cincinnati. It wasn't the three-point shooting. Obviously, you'd like to go more better than six of twelve from the uh three from the free throw line and, and have a few fewer turnovers as well. But I think Wichita State, if they can do a better job of recognizing on the dribble drive when to take it all the way and when to find that open shooter and hit more two-point shots, that's definitely going to help. It'll feel like a blast from the past for Wichita State as the Shockers have faced the former Missouri rival, uh, Missouri Valley rival Drake more than any other team in program history. Wichita State leads the series 104 to 47 and has won the last 11 matchups against Drake. That game again will take place this Thursday, the first four for the NCAA tournament, uh, 527 p.m. Central Time tip. Uh, That'll be at Purdue's Mackey Arena in West Lafayette. It'll be on TBS. If Wichita State can get past Drake, they will advance to play number six seed USC, 3.30 p.m. Saturday at Bankers Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis. And by the time we have our next episode, guys, we will know whether or not Wichita State not only made it through the first four, but also made it through their first round matchup against USC. Let's transition into the Kansas Jayhawks. We really don't have to go too far on the bracket, guys. We mentioned it a couple minutes ago that there is the potential, it does exist, for a Kansas-Wichita State matchup in the second round of the NCAA tournament. And there are some question marks about Kansas, kind of different than what the question marks are about Wichita State. The questions surrounding Kansas pretty much all have to do with COVID-19. A lot has happened with the Jayhawk program from the last time we recorded our our last episode to now. The Jayhawks played in the Big 12 tournament, and they were able to get a pretty convincing win. I know the final score didn't really indicate it, but Kansas, they were able to knock off Oklahoma 69-62 in the second round in the quarterfinals of the Big 12 tournament. Kansas got out to a 20-point lead at halftime before Long Kruger's crew were able to cut it down. Jayhawks able to pull away, though, in the end and win by seven. And then that was it in the Big 12 tournament for Kansas. They were scheduled to face Texas in the semifinal round on Friday night. That game called off due to COVID-19 related issues for the Jayhawks program. We already knew David McCormick and Tristan and Aruna were out. That that had been announced earlier in the week, Uh, but there was another COVID issue with Kansas. We now know that Jalen Wilson is the Jayhawk that tested positive for COVID-19. That game was called off. Texas automatically moved on where they they actually lost um, in, that was in the semifinal round. I take that back. Uh, they They lost in that match. But ultimately, Kansas out of the Big 12 tournament 
And now there's a question mark about what the what the squad is going to look like in the NCAA tournament for Kansas. The Jayhawks are seeded as a three seed. They will take on Eastern Washington on Saturday afternoon. Tip for that game is around 1.15 p.m. Blake, I will start with you with the Jayhawks. Let's start off about where you think this Jayhawks squad is right now. We know the issues surrounding COVID. We know the issues with McCormick and Aruna and now Wilson. What do you think is going to be happening with the Jayhawks come Saturday? Boy, this is a really, really tough question. Uh, Jalen Wilson has struggled over the last few games for Kansas. Uh, you know, he, coming down the stretch, he had been a double-double machine. And I think he had been KU's best player, quite honestly, it, from what he had been able to do rebounding and scoring the basketball. And when you've got those particular guys out, and Aruna's a little bit of a wild card to me, averages about nine minutes a game, but at times has come in and done a really good job defensively and helped the offense run efficiently, has had a nice plus-minus while he's been in the game. I think he had a really good plus-minus against Oklahoma State in that come-from-behind victory, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, but you you lose a couple of starters like McCormick and Jalen Wilson uh, I think it puts Kansas in a really, really difficult spot. Kansas, you know, normally I think depth is probably one of the most overrated stats in March Madness. And I was listening on the radio the other day, and somebody somebody had said, you know, that all, if you look at the best teams and how they had finished in the NCAA tournament, the teams that had the least bench minutes played was a very strong correlation to how good you did in the tournament because you don't need a lot of depth in the NCAA tournament. All the media timeouts are half an hour. They take like <laughs> 70 media timeouts a half. So, you know, these are 20 to 24 year old athletes. Um, it is an absolutely accurate take, but you, you don't need, you don't, you just don't need that much depth because of conditioning. Now, obviously if you get into foul trouble injuries, that's certainly a consideration, but, I'm not sure that I like KU's chances as much without McCormick and Wilson, assuming that they can't go, which obviously is extremely you know, early for us to say, extremely prejudicial. We have no idea if one or either of them are going to be able to play. I believe you have to have seven consecutive days of negative tests in order to be allowed inside the NCAA tournament bubble. And I do think that KU has guys that can spell them in limited spurts. Mitch Lightfoot came out, had a very good offensive first half against Oklahoma, five of 10 from the field. He had a very good game. I have no problem with Mitch Lightfoot. He's not going to be able to play, replace David McCormick on a long-term stretch. However, could he do it for a weekend? I think probably he could. Stop. That's just so disingenuous for you to say that over 250 minutes that he's going to be better than David McCormick. It's preposterous. Absolutely. It's so disrespectful to what David McCormick is. Have you watched the game? You talk about efficiency. Mitch Lightfoot, three assists, 21 turnovers this year. David McCormick, 38 assists. Uh, David McCormick, 26 assists, 29 turnovers this year. So what are you yeah. talking about in terms of efficiency? Just Neither let the two guys good. be their separate guys. I like Mitch Lightfoot. I think he can come in and spell Kansas, but I don't like Kansas without David McCormick, and I don't like Kansas as much without Jalen Wilson. 
one thing though, I think we need to think about too. So we are they're they're playing without Jalen Wilson. That is that's decided. Uh, my understanding is if you test positive, you have to be you are absolutely out for ten days following no symptoms, and then obviously you have to have continuous negative tests. So he's out ten days, so he will not be the first round game. And I think that maybe so if, if their second round game is a Monday. I guess we don't know exactly when the positive test was. I think potentially, and that's what I read from Bill. I think my understanding from what Bill Self was insinuating is we know for sure game one, no Jalen Wilson. If there is a game two, I think he even said it very unlikely, um, but I think the door was kind of left open. Now, my understanding about McCormick and then Tristan and Aruna is they have not, the Kansas team has had no positives. So the seven days will be up and they will be eligible to join the team. Uh, I want to say they'll be eligible to join the team tomorrow and they haven't reported any positive tests. So we, we should expect McCormick. Now, like you said, Blake, I mean, God, with any, with all this stuff, like you never know what's going to happen, but that is what it's looking like. It's going right. to be. So, um, you know, and, and you're right, you know, Jalen Wilson really, the thing about him is he's had moments of brilliance. I mean, moments where he's looked like the best player on this team and then moments where he looks absolutely lost out there. Um, so the inconsistency, you know, certainly if you tell me, Hey Weston, you know, how's Kansas going to do without red hot, you know, Jalen Wilson. Well, that that's tough, right? But that's not what you're always getting out of him. And and so I think they've got some guys that, that can slide in. I mean, it's, of course you prefer to have him. Uh, Bill Self mentioned Tyon Grant Foster is going to get a much more significant amount of minutes than he has in the past, which has been almost non-existent. Um, so you're going to see some more out of him. Negligible. I, right. And I would, I would kind of also expect if – I think in part he's saying that because Tristan and Aruna has not practiced because he's been out. And so I think you probably got to give some sort of hat tip to the guy who's been with the team, practicing with the team. Now in Aruna comes, comes to practice on Tuesday or Wednesday and looks good between now and, and Saturday's tip off at noon, you know, maybe it ends up being, well, we thought we were going to have to rely on Ty and Grant Foster, but in Aruna looks like, you know, he's able to run and you kind of see a split between them two. Um, and they provide you different things. I think Tyon Grant Foster is going to provide you the part of Wilson's game that is the rebounder and the get to the basket side of him, where Inaruna is going to provide you more of the outside shooting, more perimeter type style that because really Wilson can give you both, right? So I think you're going to look at those two players and then as we have also seen spurts of Bryce Thompson, you're going to see him, you know, slide in more. So I, Obviously, you want to be full strength, but they have enough guys that I think are similar to to Wilson that it's not detrimental. Um, certainly, you know, you talk Ochai Garrett, um, you know, or probably probably even Christian Brown would have been just, uh, you know, maybe insurmountable and maybe not so much first round, but a second round matchup for the Jayhawks without one of those three. But I like the chances with what, what they have and, and, you know, certainly will talk about the matchup against Eastern Washington as we kind of go on here. Well, here, here's where I'm at right now is that you guys can, you, you can take your argument about Mitch Lightfoot and David McCormick somewhere else. If you want to, like you can leave if you want and talk about that as much as you want, because where I'm at right now is that the only player that matters is Ochai Abaji, and he is peaking at the right moment for the Jayhawks. Right. And let's, let's hope if you're, if you're a Jayhawks fan, let's hope that that, 
that hot stretch continues for Ochai. In fact, I think I wouldn't be opposed to renaming it Ochai Madness right now. I mean, in that game against <laughs> Oklahoma, Abaji had 26 points in 32 minutes, and, and he was absolutely on fire, guys. Um, and, and that's the Ochai that we've been waiting for for a long time. It's the Ochai that we know has been there. It's the Ochai that we've seen spurts of off and on throughout his career in Lawrence. Uh, and I know it's just it's primarily one game, but he's had some really good games. This was a great game for Ochai, but he's had some really good games uh, this season. And so, you know, here's hoping that the big stage uh, really suits him well. More than likely, and, and we're not going to get into it on this episode, but more than likely, Ochai is gone after this season and declaring for the draft. And so this is a great opportunity, in my opinion, for him to raise his stock considerably you know, during March Madness. So I'm excited to see what he can bring to the table. And I think that Kansas is going to have to lean on him. I mean, you know, yeah, David McCormick and Tristan and Aruna more than likely will be back. But how rusty are they going to be? How effective is David McCormick going to be? That's a big question mark. We know that they're going to be without Jalen Wilson for the first round game against Eastern Washington. May not have him back for you know Monday's matchup if they're able to get that far. So I think that the Jayhawks are absolutely going to need to continue to lean on Ochai Abaji. And I would like to think that he's up for the challenge. As far as the first round matchup goes for... Uh, KU taking on Eastern Washington. You know, I don't know, guys, how much you've been able to take a look to see how Eastern Washington shapes up amongst the field in the NCAA tournament, but it kind of looks like, at least in my opinion, I think Jayhawk fans can have some complaints about their draw in the bracket. Of course, Jayhawk fans are always going to have complaints about their draw <laughs> in the bracket, but I think you've got some legitimate concerns, but Eastern Washington is not one of them. They're actually the, the lowest ranked a 14 seed in the in the big dance. They're 110 in Pomeroy's rankings. They're behind Colgate and they're behind Abilene Christian, who are also 14 seeds. So KU got a, a pretty good draw when it comes to their opening round matchup. Blake, what do you know about Eastern Washington and what do you think the Jayhawks are going to need to do to get past them? You know, I think that KU has got to play better defense. Um, Moorhead State was the other 14 seed. They're, They're lower in Ken Palm. But what do you mean they got to play better defense? They're the best defensive team in that region. I know. I understand that. But, you know, I think that you meant when you talked about the Oklahoma game, yes, KU was dominant in the first half. KU's defense was terrible in the second half of that game. They gave up 47 points to Oklahoma. Oklahoma shot 66% from the three-point line, 59% from the field in the second half. So KU's defense in the second half got shredded. They were not good in the second half at all. Sure, the first half, probably the best defensive half that they have played all year. Do you want to blame that on not having McCormick and not having the and Aruna because of the depth and conditioning? Maybe. I'm not going to put that on Mitch Lightfoot because as Weston has said, I actually think Mitch Lightfoot is a capable defender, doesn't have as much power in the post, but I think he's a much better shot blocker coming from the weak side than McCormick is. So I'm not trying to say this is a, a Lightfoot problem necessarily. But what I am saying is KU against Oklahoma did not play good defensively in the second half and led Oklahoma back into that game. That was a two-possession game in the second half for a long stretch where KU should have just dominated and coasted to an easy victory. You cannot let a team that scored 15 points in the first half back into it in the second half. Can't happen. 
I've, I told you guys last week, broke down all the stats about why KU is such a great defensive team, and they have been that. But they were not that in the second 20 minutes against Oklahoma. And if that team shows up and plays defense against Eastern Washington, Kansas will be in trouble. Well, and let's talk, talk about a little bit specific matchup with that Eastern Washington too because, you know, while Kansas has been great defensively, one weakness, I would say, is David McCormick's perimeter defense. In, and I say perimeter defense as in big men who can step out and play a little bit different game. And I'm not saying it's it's definitely not Yudoka Azubuki, but but cer- certainly that is a concern. And the reason I bring that up is Eastern Washington's best player being Tanner Groves, who averages 16 and 8, uh, shot 57 threes on the year. You know, I think he only hit hit 20 of them. But my point being, he plays – you know, he'll face up to the basket. He'll step out. He'll make a big man come guard him um, and stretch the floor a little bit. So you certainly want to know, and especially in a situation where McCormick has been, you know, not practicing for the last seven days, you know, you can only replicate playing defense or, or getting that, you know, those reps um, so much when you're, when you're by yourself or whatever kind of isolated practices they were allowed to do. Um, so certainly him stepping up and stepping out, I'm not concerned about the team D overall against Eastern Washington. Uh, you're looking at the big sky champ, which uh, side note, big sky might be the coolest name uh, of any of the, the conferences that we have. That's just a cool name. Just the big sky. I don't, I don't know. I just think it's awesome. So you got the big sky champs though in Eastern Washington, but they just, I mean, like Tommy alluded to, you know, they, they ring pretty low. They ring behind Colgate, who absolutely runs the floor. They're going to be fun to watch on the other side of the bracket. Uh, I think they're going to lose. But, boy, that uh, Colgate and Arkansas matchup, bet the over, hammer the over. Um, but, anyways, back to back to Tanner goes in the Eastern, Eastern, Eastern Washington. Um, overall, you know, they're, I don't think they're going to see anybody who plays defense like Marcus Garrett does. Whoever's handling the ball, whoever is, uh, has that ball in front of Marcus Garrett is, is not going to see, have seen anything like that in the big sky. Um, it's just going to be a matter of how much they can, can work. Um, Tanner Groves. And that is, that is one area where you, where you like, you would maybe like to have Jalen Wilson. You know, he is that big guy that can play all over. He can guard one through five and being able to have him match up with Tanner Groves is something that you would have, would have liked to see, but uh, McCormick can do it, but, but that's going to be the matchup to watch. And if there, if I have a concern, that would be my concern. But Tommy, yeah. you mentioned Ochai Abaji earlier. You look at the numbers. He's Kansas's best three-point shooter, and he leads KU in scoring. So, you know, I think it's a little unfair, and maybe you didn't mean it that way, but to say, oh, he just had a couple of, of good games, I, I think he's had a, a really great season. I mean, you, you shoot 39% from the three and score 14 points per game with 52 assists and four, 40 turnovers, third on the team in steals with 30 steals. He's had a really good year. Now, going pro, I, I, I don't know. I don't really care if it's right, you know, He'll have the metrics and people telling him whether he needs to go or not. So I, I'm not an expert on that. I wouldn't proclaim to be. But I think he's had a really good year, and I think he's been doing it for a long time. I mean, and certainly the Oklahoma game was just the latest example. 
you know, there, there certainly wasn't any disrespect, to, you know, meant towards Ochai Baji. He's had a, he's had a, gr- a good season. He's had a great season. Um, I, I think that the only knock on him that, you know, I know Weston and I have talked about before on this program is just, there've been times that we've wanted him to take the game over because we feel like he's got that capability to do mm-hmm. so. And he hasn't always been able to do that. Some, sometimes the points he puts up are quiet points and that's fine. Um, but we saw in the Oklahoma game, he was able to take it over. Assuming the Jayhawks are able to avoid a massive upset in the first round against Eastern Washington. They'll move on to the second round. That game will take place on Monday and we won't have a show between now and then. So my thought process and and Blake, I'll, I'll go to you first on this. My thought process is that KU fans should absolutely be hoping hard for either a Wichita state or Drake upset against USC. You take a look at the Trojans. I mentioned this, you know, a few minutes ago that USC is ranked 14th in Kinpom, 14th in Kinpom, and they're a sixth seed right now. Uh, and a lot of that comes down to Evan Mobley. Uh, Weston, you alluded to him just a little while ago. So, you know, I think that, you know, if if either Drake or Wichita State is not able to get an upset against USC, Blake, just watch. I think you're going to see Kansas enter that game as an underdog, as far as the betting lines are concerned, I wouldn't yeah, be surprised that. to see USC be favored by a point or two in that in that second round matchup if it ends up being KU USC. So, what do you think? Obviously, we've talked all the time on this show about you know the 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 post play for Kansas and David McCormick. By this point, hopefully, he'll be able to be able to shake the rust off for that second round game. But he's going to have a tough task against Evan Mobley. Yeah, for sure. And one thing that I'm wondering about is what do you guys think about Marcus Garrett on him? Because we saw Marcus Garrett come in and play defense. He's another guy that I think can. he's so long and talented. Obviously, he's never going to have the mass or the power inside that, that David McCormick or Mitch Lightfoot would have. But he is a guy that is so defensively talented you know, he has guarded all five positions on the floor before. So if there's another guy that can do it, I think that it's Marcus Garrett. And we certainly have seen Kansas teams in the past burned by deep shooting fours and fives on the floor. So, yeah, it, it is a big concern. And you look at the, the Ken Palm rankings right now. If you look at the top 20 right now, there are only two teams that I can see that are in the top 30 in adjusted offense and defense and are not a top five seed, actually not a top four seed. And USC is one of them. So I think that I think that your point is legit. I think that they're a really good team. And I think that they will be a very difficult out for Kansas. By the way, a lot of people and everybody always says, oh, my God, we got the worst bracket. Oh, ours is the bracket. of death. No, it's the South. You know, everybody says that they've got the bracket of death. That bracket's pretty freaking brutal when your when your you know reward at the other side is oh by the way here's Gonzaga who you know has lost well, one game this year no games this year yeah they're twenty six and zero uh, Gonzaga's not a team that I want to be playing quite frankly I don't really want to play Wichita State either if I'm a Kansas fan I don't want to see Wichita State uh, you know honestly I don't really want to see either, any three of these so, teams so I think that all actually three of these teams could beat Kansas that actually leads me to my final question in, in this college hoops roundup March Madness preview segment of the show Weston I'll start with you and then Blake I'll have you wrap it up 
in the, I, I think it's unlikely, but it is possible in the scenario that we see Kansas and Wichita State in the second round of the tournament. Weston, who do you like in that matchup, the Jayhawks or the Shockers? You know, I've actually already thought, well, as a matter of fact, I, I th- that is how I have it going in my bracket. Um, and I do like Kansas in that matchup. And let me tell you why. I think Wichita State absolutely has has the players, the talent, the roster to beat Kansas. Um, but I, anytime that you have a team like Wichita State that is driven by one player, not to say that there are many other guys on that team that have scored, have stepped up, but Tyson Etienne, I think that's a tall task for Wichita State, for those other players around them to fill a void for Tyson Etienne when he has a the best, in my opinion, the best defender in all of college basketball guarding him. You're probably not going to get your typical production out of Tyson Etienne with Marcus Garrett guarding him. So can those other players of Wichita State step up? Um, and I just, I for that reason, I would pick Kansas uh, over Wichita State. And I think it would be, I think it'd be a fantastic basketball game. Yeah, I, I I don't know if I told I will pick I would pick Kansas, but I'm not sure that that's totally fair to say that there's only been one guy because you know there's been one guy that's been scoring a lot of points, but we've seen other players able to step up in a moment in a game. We've seen big games from Morris Udeze this year. We've seen Altari Gilbert have big games. Dexter Dennis doesn't have big games a lot. He's a defensive player first, and that's fine, but. He has been able to score in bunches when Wichita State has needed it. And Dexter Dennis is probably going to be guarding Ochai the other way. So who's to say that Ochai would be scoring his normal 14 points, shooting his normal 39% from the field in that game? I think the key matchup would be McCormick versus Udeze. Does Udeze have the size? Would he have the mass to be able to push McCormick out of where he wants to catch the ball and just make his shot a little bit tougher? And could he defend McCormick without fouling? I certainly think that he is smart enough to guard McCormick without fouling. Because I think if you put McCormick on the free throw line, I think Wichita State would lose that game because McCormick is such an effective free throw shooter shooting 80% on the year. So for me in that matchup, I have Kansas winning by a single possession, but I think it's going to be Udeze and McCormick that will decide it. Obviously, Etienne and Garrett and the other post players, Gilbert, Abaji, they're all going to have a say. But the big matchup that I'm looking at, Tommy, would be Udeze and McCormick. I think that would be a huge battle inside. Listen, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's a I think it's a pick 'em. I think it's a toss-up game between those two teams. And you know, regardless of the fact that Kansas is a 3 seed and Wichita State is an 11 seed, I think it would be a pick 'em because both of these teams as different as they are, they are similar in the fact that we've seen them both be lights out shooting from the perimeter. We both we've seen them both be ice cold shooting from the perimeter as well this season. So I think it would come down to who shows up and who's able to make the shots. Um, you know, when Alterit Gilbert and Tyson Etienne are on, they're fantastic from beyond the arc. When Ochai Abaji and Christian Brown are fantastic, are uh, shooting well, they're fantastic from beyond the beyond the arc too. So I think it would be a pick 'em, a toss up between those two teams. The only wild card, in my opinion, that might sway me over to Kansas would 
be on the off chance that Jalen Wilson returns for that game potentially on Monday. Of course, we don't have an answer about that as far as what's going on COVID-wise with Jalen Wilson, although we do know he will be out for the opening matchup for Kansas against Eastern Washington. Regardless of the way it pans out, by the time we do our next show, we will know who will be in the Sweet 16. And it's either going to be, there are three choices, either Kansas or Wichita State or neither. Uh, Those are the three options on the table. We're not going to have both teams in the Sweet 16 because of the way that the bracket plays out. But we'll have a full recap of the first uh, three rounds of the NCAA tournament on the next episode of Keeper of the Games. And we'll let you know how things panned out for both the Jayhawks and the Shockers. Moving on now to football to NFL football. It's been several weeks since we have talked at all about the Kansas City Chiefs. I think we all needed a little bit of a breather, a little bit of a break from talking NFL for a while, but it's been a busy several days for Brett Beach and the Kansas City Chiefs. First off, oh well, and especially with their offensive line, a lot's been going on. We'll talk about that. First off, just a couple of days ago, the Chiefs released Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. Uh, you know, both of them coming back from injuries. Of course, Eric Fisher had a season-ending Achilles injury uh, in the season during last season. Mitchell Schwartz had a back injury that really limited him last season as well. This uh, these two transactions frees up around eighteen million dollars in cap space for the Chiefs. But the one thing it did do was open up a lot of questions about what the offensive line is going to look like for Kansas City. There still are questions as of this moment right now, but we do have at least one of those questions answered as Kansas City on Monday agreed to a five-year deal with free agent offensive lineman Joe Tooney, who had played for the New England Patriots. The deal is worth $80 million. The first two years fully guaranteed at $32.5 million. You have to think, Weston, that regardless, even though the Chiefs cut Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, and of course, we all know what both of those guys brought to the offensive line for Kansas City. We know the contributions from Eric Fisher, former overall number one draft pick for Kansas City back in 2013. We know about all their contributions, but you have to think. Even with those cuts, the signing of Joe Tooney provides a massive upgrade for Kansas City's offensive line. Oh, absolutely. Joe, I mean, Joe Tooney, there is no question. I think if you asked all 32 execs in the NFL, 30 of them would say Joe Tooney is the best interior offensive lineman in all football. I mean, this, I, I don't know that Chiefs fans even have a grasp yet of how big this signing is. Um he is fantastic. He's going to be so important in anchoring that left side of the line. I think what this does is slides Coleccio simile over to the right side. Um, and then you still got Austin Ryder at center. That is still in question. We'll see. There's still some moves to be had uh, when the Ken- when Kansas City restructured Mahomes and then cut Fisher and uh, Mitch Schwartz that put us with about 20 million in cap space. My understanding is that this, um, the the way they structured Joe Tooney's deal, it's only taking up about 4.75 million. Uh, Let me see. Yeah. 4.5 million is is the cap number for 2021. So we still have about 15 million to play with. Uh, Obviously we're probably looking at a uh, Tyran Matthew extension that will eat into a little bit of that. Um, but what but what I think what this does for the offensive line, when you can bring in an all pro left guard like Joe Tooney, 
I think now I'm even more confident that the Chiefs are either going to look round one or round two for a left tackle, potentially even move up since they have some compensatory picks that they were awarded uh, in losing Kendall Fuller and the defensive end. And I'm drawing a name or drawing a blank, Alex Okafor, who went to Miami. They got two compensatory picks back for that. And I want to say it's a third and a fifth. So they've got some cap draft at uh, some draft capital to play with. And I think they may even consider moving. Hey, out a baby. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, move, move up and, and, and take that left tackle of the future. But here's, I, I want to give you before I kick this over to, to Blake, I got some stats on Joe Tooney that I think so two times Super Bowl champion with the Patriots. I think most, most folks know he, he was with new England. He only allowed three sacks in 2033 pass blocking snaps since 2019. And that's probably the stat that you're interested in, right? As we saw Patrick Mahomes run all over the football field in that Super Bowl. So protecting Pat at all costs, giving the offense time to get those plays. In a quick side note, I do also think that the defense and pass rush in the NFL is changing right now. I think it is so much more important to sure, sure up that interior offensive line because the way offenses run these timing routes, the ball, it's, I mean, it's one, two, three throw. Now it's hard for edge rushers to get to the quarterback just with the play design these days. You know, it used to be that the left tackle was the most important position on the field and, and still probably is, but sure, shoring up that interior offensive line, I think is, is the first step at being able to allow your offense to do what they want to do because that interior pressure, that nose guard, that three technique getting to the ball is the first thing that can really disrupt your offense. If you can't even run your, your timing routes, your one, two, three throw now. So uh, I'm ecstatic. I would have much rather had Joe Tooney. There's a lot of talk about Trent Williams uh, for the 49ers. He's, I think he's better than Joe Tooney, but I'm more excited about shoring up that interior offensive line than going after an older left tackle. So I'm excited. You know, listen, I'm, I I don't know if I'm as high on Joe Tooney as, as you are. I do think that he will be an upgrade uh, at the guard position. He was ranked by lineups as the 16th best offensive guard in the NFL last year. You know, Mitchell Schwartz had a, a really fantastic season at the tackle. He was ranked, I think, as the third best tackle Yeah, Mary, Maybe Kansas City is kind of pulling a Bill Belichick here and getting out of the Eric Fisher sweepstakes at the right time. This is an older player that's going to be coming off of a devastating injury uh, to his Achilles. So maybe they're pulling the plug on Eric Fisher at the right time. Two Pro Bowls in his time in Kansas City. You know, I think Schwartz is actually going to be the bigger loss. He had three Pro Bowls in five years. You know, really outstanding short career in Kansas City. Um, I think he's going to be very similar to Assembly and where he was. Assembly, a free agent, not sure if he's going to be back. Not on the active roster for Kansas City right now. But I do think that he will be a massive upgrade over Allegretti, who was ranked down about 67, way down the board in terms of offensive linemen for for Kansas City. So I, I don't want to say that he's a premier offensive lineman, at oh, least the rankings sure that is. I'm looking at. Oh. Well, the, not according to lineups. Like I said, 16th best offensive guard. That doesn't sound like an elite player to me. That doesn't mean that he can't be a massive upgrade over 
over what the Chiefs had, which is Alec Gretty. I think he will be a massive upgrade. But for Kansas City, you know, still a lot to put together, including I think the biggest question is, is the doctor, Duvernay Tardif, is he coming back this year? I haven't heard for sure whether or not LDT is going to be back in the Chiefs uniform. He's on the roster, and certainly the Chiefs are going to welcome him back with open arms if he decides to return. But I have not heard for sure if he's opting back into Kansas City Chiefs football this year. So this this signing of Joe Tooney, Blake, is, in my opinion, less about superstardom or having a premier offensive lineman, and it's more about durability. That's really sure. what, that's the biggest thing right now. I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but Andy Reid has been the head coach in Kansas City for eight seasons. During those eight seasons, there's not been a single player that has put together a, a full 16-game stretch as the starter at left guard. There have been 13 different players that have played, that have started games at left guard for the Chiefs over the course of those eight seasons. On the flip side, when it comes to Joe Tooney, not only was he a 2019 second team all pro, but he's registered 5,474 offensive snaps since he entered the league. That's second only to Travis Kelsey's brother, Jason, with the Philadelphia Eagles during that same period. He's also pretty versatile. He's filled in at center. He's filled in at right tackle. So I think the durability is significantly important. And especially when you look at the guys that were just released from Kansas City. I, I know that we can talk all about the contributions that both Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz made during their times in Kansas City, and those are not to be discounted, although there were a lot of times I was pretty frustrated at Eric Fisher, Eric Fisher. Yeah, over the course of his career. And I think Nobody that has gotten more out of that Super Bowl win than Eric Fisher. Oh, and there were a lot of times that I thought, this is the overall number one pick. Are you kidding me? But at the end of the day, I think that you can – I think it's fair to acknowledge their contributions, but one of the biggest reasons why they were both released is that, especially in the case of Mitchell Swartz, couldn't stay healthy. You know, was dealing with all these significant health issues. That's going to happen. They're getting a little bit older. Who knows what Joe Tooney will be in four or five years? I know it's a five-year deal. Only the first two are guaranteed. He's not, you know, a, a second-year player by any means. He's been in the league for a while now, but he has been durable the entire time he has been in the NFL. And so I think that has been put at a premium um, for Kansas City, especially with that offensive line. Guys, we saw how banged up they were. Last season, especially, and how, you know, let's not forget about the Super Bowl and the number of times that Patrick Mahomes was pressured by, by Tampa Bay. They needed to have somebody that was durable, capable, and consistent on that offensive line. It doesn't fully shore up the O-line. And, you know, Weston, I'd be curious to know what you think their next plans are for the offensive line, but I definitely think it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, so I'm pretty convinced now that I think the first pick is going to be a left tackle, um, particularly uh, a name that I keep seeing is Rayshon Slater from Northwestern. I think that's going to be about the right uh, spot in the draft for potentially he could fall to 31 um, or only have to move up. a. I mean, I know, like I said, I think they're willing to go get a, a left tackle, but I still don't think they're going to, you know, they're not going to mortgage away future picks to move up and, and get a left tackle, especially since uh, there have been a lot of draft analysts who suggest that this year's offensive line class is deeper than it's ever been. So you're going to get some guys drafted. Um, so you'll look at, I think, probably a rookie first rounder at left tackle. You got Tooney at 
left guard. Austin Ryder's the question mark for me. I, there's been moments where he's felt consistent and moments where he's seemed bad and moments where he's seemed good. So I, I, I think very much they could just say, look, that's we're going to have to live with Austin Ryder. I think you got Kaleche Osimile at right guard. And to answer your question, Blake, I would be shocked, even if LDD, LDT did come back, that he could have maintained any sort of level. He was actually working a pandemic over the last year to be ready to go this year. Or maybe he's ready and healthy, but not at the levels that he was before. Um, but, you know, I mean, who, it's still pretty early. Who really I mean, knows? You know, yeah, sure. Smart. Who knows? Uh, and then at right tackle, I think that they like Lucas Niang um, or potentially Martinez Rankin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they have still still have money to play with, so there certainly could be someone else out in free agency. I don't think it's going to be a splashy signing if it's another offensive lineman in free agency. Um, but they like Lucas Niang. They drafted him uh, in the second round for a reason. I know I've heard so much about Martinez Rankins, even though we've never get to see him on the field. So, I mean, maybe you know the best abil- ability is availability, and if he can't be out there, then we'll never see it come. But I'm just curious if – they think they have something in Martinez Rankin, and that's why, you know, maybe they're kind of expecting that out of right tackle or Lucas Niang. But that's my thoughts on, on where how the offensive line shapes up over the rest of the offseason. Yeah, yeah, it's so- going to be hard to get more durability than Mitchell Schwartz had. I mean, remember, guys, first four years in Kansas City, didn't miss a start, didn't yeah. miss a single start. Now, this last year, obviously, to your point, Tommy, you know, six games, but that was the first season he had ever missed a start in the NFL since coming in in 2012. But like I said, maybe they're getting out of the Eric Fisher situation at the right time, coming off a massive injury. Maybe they're getting out of Mitchell Schwartz at the right time. I I don't know, but I, I'm just saying, you know, if we if the next tackle that they get at that spot does what Mitchell Schwartz did in terms of durability, that's going to be impossible to improve upon because until this season, he had played in every game. Still a lot of question marks for Kansas City, not only on the offensive line, but just in, in general. Uh, you know, and, and Weston, I'll go back to you. That there were there was some news also this week about restructured contracts for Kansas City, you know, considering the deal that the NFL made with the players and the owners, and you know, there, there were players that needed to have their contracts restructured, including Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones. What do you mm-hmm. think that those restructured contracts do for Kansas City as far as their pursuit for other free agents? whether it be on the offensive line or otherwise. Well, I think it does a lot for sure because these restructured contracts are not so much about changing the actual dollar value that they are. It's often converting, you know, for instance, in Pat's case, he had a roster bonus of, I want to say it was 15 million for just being on the roster, right? So they converted that roster bonus into signing. Basically what they do is he's signing a new deal and instead of a roster bonus, now it's a $15 million for signing the new deal in that frees up cap space. So I think that's, I mean, I solely think that's what that restructuring was. They actually have a good amount of space now where we were, a lot of, you know, early talk was, oh boy, they look like they're over the cap. How are they going to squeeze all this together? And now with all this restructuring, looks like they have some room. I think now that they've signed Joe Tooney, you're going to see Tyron Matthew be extended. I think you're going to see Tyreek Hill extended and then potentially one or two more free agents. Probably nothing. I don't think you're going to see any splashy names, but one or two more to kind of fill in, fill in the void. You know, I'm talking you know, uh, anywhere from a three to six million a year type player. So nothing too splashy, but certainly signing with the 
expectation of contributing right away, potentially looking at corner. You've seen um, a couple different guys being linked to Kansas City as far as visits. Particularly, I've seen a couple slot corners, which would indicate that Legereus Sneed is ready to slide over to one of the outside corner positions. Um, and then another position that uh, keeps getting overlooked, I think, is linebacker. Kansas City has really not stopped the run very well over the last few years. Um, and I certainly think you could be looking at an upgrade potentially through free agency at one of those linebacker spots. Well, the other player to keep your eyes on that we haven't talked about at all for Kansas City, and right now it's nothing but rumors, but former NFL lineman Kyle Long was interested in returning to the game after retiring following the uh, 2019 season. He's beginning a free agent tour in the AFC West. He's visited the Las Vegas Raiders. That visit happened on Monday, and later this week, he is scheduled to visit the Kansas City Chiefs. So that could be an interesting look as well for Kansas City as we move forward. We're also about a month and a half away from the NFL draft, and so I know Weston is very busy in his bunker getting his draft order, the mock draft, (laughs) ready to rock and roll. Uh, for this season. So uh, we'll, we won't do that on this episode, but maybe in a future episode, we'll check back with Weston to talk about mm, could that. We not uh, do that. That mock oh, draft. Are. All right. We're going to go ahead and transition now away. F- yeah. We'll go ahead and, uh, and get away from the NFL now and talk a little bit about prep basketball. The last couple of weeks, guys, we have talked about the state basketball tournament on both the boys side and the girls side. We now know who the state champions are in the different classes around the state of Kansas. So let's break it down really quick. We'll start in boys basketball in 6A. Unfortunately, campus high school unable to come up with the state title as they fall to uh, Blue Valley North 67-59. However, in 5 5A Mays. They grabbed the 5A state title by defeating Topeka West. Final score 55-43. And Blake, I'm going to come back to you to get your thoughts on that in just a second. But congratulations to Mays getting the victory. Uh, no Wichita area schools competing in the 4A state championship on the boys' side, but in 3A, I guess you could call Heston a uh, Wichita area school. I guess you could sure. say that. Uh, they defeated Galena 45-36 to to capture the 3A state title on the boys' side. And uh, yeah, I guess Hillsboro is a Wichita area school as well. They defeated Wabunsee to win the 2A state crown. 59 to 50, and then in 1A, Opie beat South Gray and Hanover beat Elria Christian to capture the 1A Division One and Division Two state championships. So, Blake, really the, the the top story there, as far as the boys' side is concerned, is Mays getting the victory in 5A. They took down Topeka West. How are you feeling right now about that? You know, it's it's weird because obviously we want our local schools to do well, and I certainly do, but. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was cheering for my alma mater. It's been a tough stretch at Topeka West. They're changing conferences and, in my opinion, kind of turning tail and running to a weaker conference and getting out of the Centennial League where Topeka West football has been getting dominated for about 10 years or so. Topeka West football has been in the dumps for a long time. And so, you know, I, I, I really hate the direction that Topeka West Athletics is going, but you know, obviously the kids don't have they don't have any any thoughts about that. They don't have any control over that. You know, they go and play the games on the schedule, and same same for the coaches. And you know, I think this just proves that Topeka West basketball, at least on the on the boys' side, has the capability, and and they have had good teams. You know, pop up through a, every just see like every few years. Topeka West will go through this roller coaster, and they'll have a team that will make it to state. And uh, but obviously, Mays, uh, we're, we're we're very happy for them on on that show. 
And, uh, you know, congratulations to them. They were the better team. But, yeah, I, I was cheering for the Chargers for sure. How can I not? <laughs> you know, I, I was glad. Somebody asked me. Uh, it was I think it was Joanna Chadwick on Twitter. And I tweeted out. She said, uh, I said, well, at least not all the Topeka news was was bad for basketball. And it was after Topeka High, the girls won. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, we don't cheer for Topeka High in my household. <laughs> Well, fair enough. I mean, you know, yeah. why would you ever? It's kind of like it'd be like Weston and I cheering for friends, right? It'd be kind of the same thing. No, is no. that a is that a big is that the main rivalry between those two schools? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Friends don't let friends sure. don't let friends. Yeah. Go I mean, easy. I'm never cheering for Missouri ever. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Or, or kind of like a Clearwater cheering for Andale. That would never happen in my household. Sure. You just you can't do that. So I, I totally understand where you're coming from with that. What Andale would Andale would probably cheer for Clearwater if there was ever something to cheer about. It's like a little brother situation over there. So I, I don't know. Wow, wow, that's pretty. You just threw the entire city of Clearwater under the bus. Wow. Sorry, guys. You guys are I, being savage to these small towns, by the way. Tommy apparently doesn't care about Heston or Hillsboro. So, geez, sorry to those I didn't, listeners we have in those two places. I didn't say I didn't care about them. I just like, think, oh, well, they're barely Wichita schools. I mean, I, I guess we'll throw them in the show. I, I, I think you're stretching the metro area, be, you know, very liberally to include well, them you know. as Wichita Metro, but we're happy to do so. On the you know girls, what? at least you didn't forget them. Like uh, somebody on this program, you know, may or may not have forgotten their alma mater. Last, I don't know who yeah. that is. Well, the I'm, names I'm, will not be spoken to protect the not innocent. I'm not going to address that, but I do want to ask you guys a question before we move on to the girls' <laughs> side. Um, <laughs> And I want to, I want to go up to. Did you guys catch in Class Four A? And I, the reason why I want to talk about this too. Obviously, we do have a lot of Metro uh, schools that that are Four A, right? The Bishop Meage boys beat Lewisburg ninety four to forty. What are we doing here? Like this can't be fun yeah. for for anybody. It can't be fun for anyone in Four A, and it can't be fun for Bishop Meage. Like, what are we doing? Keisha has got to figure something out here because that. I get it, and I'm, there will be plenty of people that would that would chirp at me and say, "Well, get better, you know, boo hoo." Why are they crying? I mean, I don't have any investment in that, but that can't even be fun for Bishop Beage. Like, it, it's just not helping anyone for Bishop Beage to continue to just just absolutely annihilate everyone in this class. They've got to do something. I, I just didn't know if you guys had any thoughts on what to do with you know a private school like that. Uh, I mean. You know, Weston, people, when I was doing Bishop Carroll on the radio, a lot of people had their opinions on that. And, and you know, they, they always say, oh, Bishop Carroll, they're recruiting and they're doing all this. Um, have you seen some of the public schools around the state? You really want to tell me that some of these public schools, that every player that's good at all in all these public schools lives within that district? Because if we oh, really want to go there – I don't think the public school people are going to like what they see. Okay. You know, so oh, my not. opinion is this, if, if you're going to complain about Catholic and private schools recruiting, go ahead and do that. 
that's on you. That's fine. But don't come and talk to me when we've got these kids transferring out of the City League or transferring into the City League, which we've talked about many times on this show already. You know, don't tell me that all these public schools have everybody living inside their borders. And I don't think that the districts check. I don't think the KSHSAA checks. They don't check. They don't know and they don't check. So, you know, from my opinion, you, you know, you're, at this point, this has been allowed to go on for so long that it is over trying to police this. It has been allowed to happen for so many years that it is bound to happen now. And Bishop, it's not Bishop Miege's fault that they play in the one of the best conferences. I think that's the Eastern Kansas League. It's not their fault that they're playing in one of the best leagues and that they're a small school. It's not their fault. So, you know. If you want to be able to clean up all the public schools and make sure that nobody's recruiting anybody ever, I mean, have at it, but I don't think you're going to have very much luck. But here's the thing. The complaint isn't even about I, – uh, I don't have uh... – Oh, I was just going to say I don't think that the complaint's not even, look, the recruiting or not recruiting because you're right. It's happening. You can't. There's no way to police that. Private schools have the ability to do that. But the fact of the matter is – Bishop Miege is running everyone out of the gym. And again, I'm not even complaining like there shouldn't be take away their four A state championships. None of that. They surely they want to figure something out. Surely they want to have a better state championship experience, just like the kids who are getting trampled by them do. I just I don't know why. And it's not addressing the recruiting, in my opinion. And I don't have an answer. So you shouldn't come to the table saying something needs to change and you don't even have a suggestion of what it is, but, but they've just got to be able to play better competition. And I think they would want that too. Tommy, real quick, before you jump in the one example, I always go back to when Bishop, Bishop Carroll football, everybody thinks, Oh, it's such a powerhouse. And, you know, right now, and, and it is appropriately. So, you know, Steve Martin in Northwest didn't complain when he was getting his brains beaten out by Bishop Carroll when he showed up to Northwest coming from Heights. He got the program better. And now Wichita Northwest is the king of the city league. And nobody was complaining from liberal Kansas when the Redskins were absolutely eating the Golden Eagles lunch back when liberal was blowing teams out stacking state championships and then all of a sudden this guy called alan shuckman shows up and he brings in jim nance and dusty trail and all of a sudden bishop carroll is oh no they're competing with the liberal oh they're beating liberal oh they're beating the pants off of liberal so nobody complained in the 80s you know after carroll won their only state title until the shuckman and trail titles when bishop carroll football was Pretty bad, pretty bad stretch there when they were not statewide or even city league relevant. And now that they are, people will say, oh, it's a private school problem. Uh, Where were you complaining about how public schools had the advantage back when Bishop Carroll stunk? Because I I don't remember hearing anything about that. Well, um, I I don't think we've resolved anything. I think we just opened a can of worms. (laughs) And. uh, 
I was happy to sit back and listen to you guys argue that point. Uh, very quickly on the girls' side, really not a whole lot to talk about as far as local Wichita teams or Wichita area teams are concerned. There was not a Metro Wichita team in the 6A state championship. Shawnee Mission Northwest got the win over Topeka High, 61-54. On the girls' side, Aquinas beat Andover Central. I think that's notable because of the, the win streak that Andover Central had going into the state championship game. But Aquinas beat Andover Central 52-44. to in 5A. McPherson lost the 4A girls state title to Bishop Meage 51 to 36. The only pretty much main Wichita area team that won a state title on the girls side is in 3A as Cheney High School beat Sabatha 60 to 54. Sterling in 2A beat uh, Pittsburgh Colgan 52 to 36. Uh, another Wichita, I guess, Metro team in Norwich in 1A Division One. They lost to Olpe 42-25. And then I, I guess Cunningham is also kind of a Wichita area school if you want to stretch out that metro area to uh, <laughs> to include Kingman County. But Central Plains beat Cunningham 39-35, and then uh, that was 1A Division Two. So uh, any thoughts, uh, Blake, on any of those teams on the girls' side? I know that really the only Wichita Metro team getting a state title is Cheney, thoughts on that? Hey, did go Cheney. Cardinals had a had a great season, and uh, they've they've had some pretty solid teams. I've gotten to watch uh, Haley Albers play at Newman over the last few years, and they've been putting out some Division Two product out there in Cheney. They've had quite a few Division Two signings, so not a surprise to me that the Cardinals are bringing a state championship home. Weston, really- any additional thoughts from you? Yeah, and really cool experience for uh, so Kylie Shear, their leading scorer, had 25 in the game, and her dad Ron, or I'm pretty sure it's Ron, but Coach Shear, it you know is her dad. So what a cool experience for you know a father daughter to to go through that and win that state championship, and you know that's always you get that a lot in small towns, right? But always a cool story to I think make note of. I really, really thought, Blake, that when Weston was talking about the leading scorer from Cheney and her dad, I thought he was going to try to tie it back to him somehow. (laughs) I know. I was waiting for it. Like he was my, he was my fourth grade linebackers conditioning coach or something like crazy like that. I was just waiting for that. We won the Bike County Elementary School Championship that year. (laughs) Just because, you know, Cheney's not that far away from, uh, from Andale. Not that far from Andale. Sure. Okay. Just, just wait guys. I actually am going to a wedding in Cheney in April. So let me mingle around, see who I meet. I'll come back with some sort of connection. Awesome. Yeah. Can't wait for that. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, congratulations to those teams that won state titles on both the boys and the girls side. Very quickly, before we get into our Wichita whip around and then wrap up this edition of Keeper of the Games, we're going to have a lot more. I mean, and I mean a lot more to talk about in future episodes as it relates to the Kansas City Royals. They are still in, in spring training, but it is notable to point out, guys, that right now the Royals are 11 and three to start spring training. That's their best start in exhibition play since the 2015 Royals, we all know about them, went 11-3 and through their first 14 games in spring training. And really the big story, guys, and Weston, I'll start with you, has been with Bobby Witt Jr. and just how he has had an absolutely outstanding spring. And while that's good, there kind of are some question marks. It might be kind of a good problem to have for the Royals to determine what they're going to do with Bobby Witt when the actual season starts. And, you know, in a lot of time... 
lot of cases in, in previous years, teams can say, yeah, they've got a big phenom that played well in spring training. Where do you start him? Well, maybe you start him the level above where he was at the year before. But keep in mind, there was no level the year before because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's kind of a unique issue for Kansas City. And so uh, I don't want to dwell a lot on this because we got to get to our Wichita whip around. But very quickly, Weston, where do you think the Royals stand when it comes to what is going to happen with Bobby Wood Jr.? Bobby Witt Jr., my gosh, guys, he is going to be fun to watch. Before I give you my take on what's going to happen, keep in mind, because I know every spring training, there's somebody that always kind of gets hyped, right? I mean, it just happens really with every team. But this isn't just, you know, a player that kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, he is the number two overall pick in the 2019 draft. Many expected him to be the number one overall pick, and then he fell to the Royals in that draft. So he comes with a you know, a long line, well, he's only 20 years old, but a long line of, of expectation. This they, they expected great things out of him, and he's really starting to produce in spring training. But I don't know if you guys both caught, but David Lesky um, and then followed by Jeffrey Flanagan both have uh, tweeted now saying that they have on good authority that Mike, Mike Matheny is pushing for Bobby Wood Jr. to be on the opening day roster. And I think if you combine wow. that with Dayton Moore's past he's shown that service time be damn he's willing to you know take a young guy and play him when it's time to play so i fully expect at this point uh he's gonna be on that opening day roster and especially since right now you'd be looking at nicky lopez at second base and they like nicky lopez and nicky lopez can do a lot of good things but he's not bobby wood jr um you know and so i would not be surprised one bit if day one bobby wood jr starting at second base next to mondi in that middle of the infield Yeah, I mean, I hate to be the guy who's the broken record here, but what he's doing in the minors doesn't really matter. Uh, it's not the I'm minors, it's spring training. Spring training doesn't really matter. Um, you know, we've seen so many guys in minor league ball and spring training have fantastic starts to the year and totally flame out. So I want to see what he's doing when he gets called up. I obviously believe that he will get called up. Obviously, he's having a fantastic start to spring training, but this doesn't mean anything. The Royals are not going to win the World Series. The World Series has never been won in spring training. So you know, we've had so many times when the Royals have had good spring training years, and then it turns out that they absolutely stunk. Now, I realize that the last time they were really good in spring training, they happened to have a really good team. And, and I hope that that comes to fruition. I hope that is the case, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's not a one-to-one correlation of great spring training equals a great regular season. So I'd like to see him in a Royals uniform playing at Kauffman Stadium before I really get frothing at the mouth. But yeah, he's having a really nice spring. Well, he's got three home runs and 27 at bats uh, in spring training so far. And, you know, these are not just, you know, uh, inexperienced pitchers that he's hitting home runs that. against. In fact, the home run that uh, everybody was sharing on social media over the weekend was against Julio Urias, the same Urias from the Dodgers that closed out the World Series last fall. So, you know, he's hitting home runs against proven pitchers. And I know it's spring training, but uh, there, there is a lot of potential there for a guy like Bobby Wood Jr. And I'm mostly excited for how well the Royals overall have played in spring training. And hopefully it transitions into 
into the regular season for Kansas City. All right, it's time to hit the music and get into our Wichita whip around to close out the program. It's the segment where we do our round robin. We talk about a big story in the sports world that's all about Wichita. Blake, I will start with you. What is your Wichita whip around story today? Wichita Whip Around story for me is it's been rumored. It's finally come to officially be announced yesterday. For those of you watching and listening on the podcast, the Wichita State is going to be the first team to play at Riverfront Stadium. I've got really mixed feelings about this. First pitch scheduled at 2 p.m. They're going to be playing Houston on April 10th, 2021. You know, I had... Everybody had their vision and in their mind what that opening day was going to be like at Riverfront Stadium with the Wichita wind surge and how the place was going to be packed for minor league baseball. Obviously, it was not meant to be in 2020, and now the former owner of the team is not even going to see the stadium open. Really unfortunate. I have very mixed feelings about the wind surge not being the first team to actually play in Riverfront Stadium. I'm all for Wichita State playing there. Darren Boatwright has said that they're playing there for the first time since 2000, by the way, and he says that it's going to become an annual thing. They're going to have a game every single year at Riverfront Stadium, which I think that's fantastic for the wind surge and the Shockers and Wichita, but I do think it's a little melancholy that the wind surge are not going to be the first team to play in their home stadium. Weston, what is your Wichita whip around story for today? Well, that was my Wichita whip around story. So Tommy, why don't you take it and then bounce right back to me? I'll have something here in a second. Beat him to the punch. Let's go. I know. I knew. I t- Actually, that was my Wichita whip around story too. <laughs> but I, God, I am good. I am so good. But I do have another one that I can bring up here and mention because I do think that it's kind of interesting. So if you're in Wichita and you're looking for a uh, a fun watch party to watch. The Shockers take on Drake in the first four of the NCAA tournament. I thought this was really unique and really interesting. There's going to be a big watch party at Town West Square on the west side of Wichita, which, uh, guys, I, I used to frequent Town West all the time when I was younger. I was a west side kid through and through. Uh, and uh, I don't think there's really much left of Town West Square these days, but there is going to be a major watch party. Um, and so it's going to be called the Fan Zone. A portion of the mall will be transformed into that Fan Zone, complete with a 20-foot screen, projector, and sound system playing the game live. They will have refreshments. Uh, snacks, popcorn, cotton candy, all of that. Everyone is welcome to come and cheer on Wichita State. And if you're looking for uh, where it's going to be set up in Town West, it will be set up near Dick's Sporting Goods. And apparently they plan to continue the fan zone for each scheduled game. So if the Shockers can advance against Drake, they'll do it again for USC and so on and so forth. Uh, So kind of neat, kind of a a cool, unique way. If you're looking for a fun watch party, not only can you watch the Shockers, but then you can go buy yourself, I don't know, a new pair of jeans at Dillard's if you'd like. (laughs) Well, I, uh, so a fun Wichita story, not related to sports, but piggybacking off of that. I actually met my wife at Denim and Diamonds, the the uh, b- uh, bar in the mall, in the Town West Mall, fantastic place. Uh, she bought me a Coors Light out of the horse horse trough uh, cooler there, and I that was it. That was the story. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Tommy. I must have misheard you. Is this the Weston Whip Around? 
Well, yeah, I had to. I, I hadn't made any connections yet, circling anything back around, and I didn't have a great Wichita Whip Round story. So, how about uh, you know, I met my wife at the Wichita Town Town West Bar. Might as well call the show the Keeper of the Weston. Yeah, I, hey, I uh, lobbied that. I guess for, that for will wrap up our. Yeah, I, I guess that'll wrap up our Weston Whip Around here on Keeper <laughs> of the Game. What is that? <laughs> Any uh, any additions, corrections, and retractions? Weston, I'll start with you. You had a boatload of corrections last week. Anything that you missed this week on the show? Um, no, I think it was a nearly perfect show for me. I, the, the only addition I will have is I did just want to, uh, you know, just add just how well that the offense looked with Mitch Lightfoot in place of uh, David oh, McCormick. And I just, I really just want to hit that home as we go into this March madness. Okay. I do have an addition. I'm going to ignore that dribble over there. <laughs> so uh, to appear, to make sure that everybody knows that we're not biased on this show. Um, Blake, I said that Mitchell Schwartz was a three time all pro bowler. That was incorrect. He was actually a three time second team, all pro, not pro bowler. Although I think all pro is actually better than being a pro bowler because it's actual award and not just voted on as a fan award. So I think that's actually better. And Tommy, Tommy, you accidentally misspoke and said the Texas lost. Texas actually won the big 12 men's basketball tournament championship over the weekend. Very true. Uh, And so last but not least, I actually do have an addition uh, on the show that I want to mention. There wasn't a good place to to mention it, so I'll I'll talk about it now. Uh, Antonio Gordon is transferring from Kansas State University from Bruce Weber's program. Uh, Gordon entered the transfer portal. Uh, He was a two-year player under Bruce Weber. He started seven games in a row before he wasn't with the team for its regular season finale versus Iowa State on March 6th. Apparently, there had been some health issues kind of vague about what those issues were that Gordon had been battling over the course of the season. Uh, And then uh, following that regular season win against Iowa State, Weber said that Gordon was still a member of the program, uh, but he was still having health issues. Uh, Turns out that Gordon will uh, transfer out of Kansas State. He appeared in 47 games overall for the Wildcats over the last two seasons, 21 starts. He averaged uh, just under five points a game and 4.6 rebounds a game. uh, And he averaged about 20 minutes per game playing so definitely a blow there for Bruce Weber's program that was already in need of some playmakers and they're losing Antonio Gordon so that was my only addition on the program no corrections or attractions for me and so if that's it for you guys I think that's our show any final parting thoughts from you no are you going to give us a chance to shout out to our dedicated audio listeners I absolutely will. I got to run through everything that people need to know if they want to watch and listen to the program again. So of course, hit subscribe. That way, anytime you have a notification, that means there's a brand new program for you to download and listen to. You can listen again on all major streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And then of course, you can also watch full episodes on our YouTube channel by searching for Keeper of the Games and on Facebook at Keeper of the Games, our website, cogsports.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod that's at k-o-g pod weston what is your twitter handle at wmills94 blake how about you for our dear and beloved audio listeners at b-e-crips b-e-c-r-i-p-p-s on twitter 
Of course, if you're watching this program on YouTube, you can see our Twitter handles below us. Uh, but also, if you're an audio listener, you can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. Next week on the program, Blake will be hosting once again, and we will be able to tell you who will be in the Sweet 16 after the first couple of rounds of March Madness and a whole lot more on next week's program. So until next time, for Weston Mills and Blake Cripps, I'm Tommy Caster. You've been checking out Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Caster, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.